Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Good morning. Man, what a great set of worship that we just got to experience. Didn't plan it, but God seems to do something crazy in his, his songs inform my message, and my message informs his songs, and we didn't plan it, but God is good. And so today, we are going to be talking about faith and community. If you don't know who I am, I'm Doug Hodges. I happen to be one of our pastors here, and I also happen to be our discipleship pastor, which means whenever I get up here, I'm going to talk about pretty much one of two things, discipleship or life groups, because those are my big things. Those are the two things that you will uh, oftentimes hear me talk about because that's my, my great passion. That's what I feel like God has uh, used life groups in my own life to, to change me in a radical way. And I believe that uh, discipleship is always a part of life group. And so uh, we're going to talk about life groups today. And I have a ton of passages that I could choose from. But I decided to go with one passage. So if you have your Bible, turn in Hebrews 10, or turn to Hebrews 10, and we'll look at verses 19 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to ask, and I know this is uncomfortable, raise your hand and let us get a Bible into your hands. You don't have to keep it, but I want you to have the, the pages open. I want you to look at Scripture for yourself to see that I'm not just making this up, that this is actually what Scripture says. I didn't just, you know, plan it with, with those guys up there and said, this is what Scripture is going to say today. This is truly what it is. And I want you to see it because I think it's that important. And so as we look at life groups, Hebrews 10, uh, 19 through 25 says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. So I'm going to open us in prayer because that's what I need. And so if you'll join me in prayer, Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are a God who wants us to draw near to you. Lord, as we open your word, as we've just read it, I ask that you would speak boldly through me. Lord, I ask that your words would be many and mine would be very few. Lord, that I would become less and you would become more. Uh, that as we uh, unpack your word, we would see what it has to say for our life, and we would walk out of this place just a little bit different. So, Father, be with us as we continue in worship. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So if we look at those first verses, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Let me just tell you, I am not always confident to walk into the holy places of Jesus. Uh, I can oftentimes act like I've got a lot of confidence that uh, I've got, uh, I'm bold enough to just go anywhere, do whatever I want, uh, but it's all bluster. Like, when I really come to someone who's like, I think is better than me, 
I'm not going to be very confident. If, you, if you've been around the church for any length of time, the name Ravi Zacharias might mean something to you. And if not, uh, Ravi Zacharias, is, he's a, an evangelist, an apologist, and he is uh, a world-renowned speaker. And when I was in college, our, our senior banquet, uh, we had Ravi Zacharias come in, and I was given the opportunity to go talk to him. And I, I on campus at that time, I was our, our vice president uh, of SGA. I was asked to speak at our senior chapels. Uh, one of the deans and me, we were really good friends, and he always would, would call me to, to go speak at different places. And so I, when I'd walk around on campus, I had this sense of confidence, like, yeah, I got this. This is my place. This is, I'm comfortable here. And, and then all of a sudden, I'm given the opportunity to meet Ravi Zacharias. I'm like, nope, not going to happen. That dude is way too smart. I don't even know what to say to him. I don't know how to approach him. I don't know what I would even say to this guy. And so I let the opportunity pass. I didn't meet Ravi Zacharias because I wasn't confident enough to to go into his presence. And this is just a man. Then I read scripture and it says, Go and have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Christ. I'm like, "Ah, what does that really look like? And... I have a kid, so I kind of get it, but it, it was startling. That's a really tough word for me to figure out how to say. It was extremely clear. That's a lot easier, right? It was really clear for me this morning. If you don't know who Ryan Haru is, he's Bob Haru's son. They go to our church, and Ryan has a little girl named Violet. And Violet was in Ryan's arms, and I'm talking to Ryan, and we're having a conversation. And at one point, Ryan goes to put her down. And she says, no, I want dad. And then all of a sudden, she spots Bob walking into the parking lot, and she gets excited. And man, as soon as Bob walks through those doors, she is like pushing Dad off and running towards Pop-Pop. Like, she is not going to be denied because she knows that that is her grandfather, that that is her, her, her dad's dad. And I watch it with my boys, too. I, my son, Ezra... Uh, Oftentimes he causes trouble because he's a boy and he's two. Like, he can't stop being in trouble. And sometimes my wife will call me and say, man, you just need to talk to him. He needs to, to, you need to say something to him. And I'll tell him and I'll say, hey, you got to listen to mom. And sometimes he'll be acting up as I'm talking to him on the phone. I'm like, stop it. And I bring out my dad voice and all of a sudden his tone starts to change. And he, he, he gets a little bit nervous about it because he doesn't, doesn't want to let me down, right? And that's, that's great to see. At least I'm doing something semi-right. But what always amazes me, no matter how many times he, I've had to say no to him on the phone or how many times I've had to say no or Elise has had to say no, the moment I walk into the door, he's not going to stop until he gets to me. I love walking out of our 8.30 service because almost always Ezra's in the uh, lobby waiting to see Daddy. And there's like a bus, a bunch of people all around, and it doesn't matter. With his two-year-old little confidence, he's getting to Daddy no matter what it takes. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Get to your father because he's your father, and he wants you to be near. I want Ezra near, and if something's holding him up, I'm going to him. And if something's holding me up to get to God, he's running towards me. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. You have the confidence to enter the holy places because God wants you there. 
And, and as you look, uh, here's why we really have confidence. Not just that he wants us there. Christ did something for us. Christ's life, his death, his burial and resurrection would shift the way we would approach God. There would be a paradigm shift that, that would take place because no longer would we be required to give sacrifices, we would have a single sacrifice that would stand for all time. We would no longer live under the law, but grace would become uh, what we live under. We would no longer have to work for our salvation. We'd be given it freely by faith. We would no longer be restricted in our access to God. We would be given unrestricted access to our Father at all times. But before we got there, we were approaching God a different way. We had to approach God differently. And so let's look at that just really quickly. Look at those words on your outline. You'll see that sacrifice, law, and works. We're going to take a look at those. This is what they had to do. They would have to make a sacrifice every year. They would bring the best sacrifice they could possibly give, and they would give it to a man, and he would walk into this place with really thick curtains, and he would have to sprinkle the blood, and he would have bells on him as he's walking in, because if he's unclean, he dies when he goes into the presence of God. And so uh, we would give that one big sacrifice, and you would never miss that one, and then you would give lots of little sacrifices throughout the year. And then, and not only that, we would have to follow the law perfectly. The Israelites uh, knew that they needed to follow the law in order to get to God. That's, what, that's the way the covenant was set up. And oftentimes you'll hear pastors say, man, they had 600 and some odd laws. And we give them a really, really hard time about it. But when we really think about it, the reason they kept on adding laws is they wanted to be perfect before their God. And so they were willing to restrict themselves as much as they could in order that they might get a taste of who their God was. So they imposed laws on themselves, not because they wanted to make it harder. No one wanted that. They wanted to be closer to their God. And if that was how they were going to do it, that's what they set up. And then they would have all the, the work that they would have to do. I need to stay clean. I need to, to meet at synagogue. I need to, be, uh, to give my tithe. I need to do, I need to do, I need to do. Whatever it is, they would just keep on doing because that's what their wor- or faith was. It was based on what they were doing. And the crazy thing is uh, we still get caught up in it today as a church. You see, because oftentimes what we hear as pastors is I need to make sure uh, I give at least once or I go to church at least during Christmas or Easter. I have to make sure that I get there one time. I can't not miss it. I need to make sure I obey the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to do all 690 or whatever it is, but 10, I should be able to do that, right? Like, uh, I, I need to make sure I give my tithe. I need to make sure I read my Bible. I need to make sure I watch Facebook Live every Monday and Thursday, because Pastor Doug's going to do a devotional. Shameless plug, yes, but you don't have to do it. We have all these things where it's all about me. I do, I do, I do. And they had all these things, whereas we do, we do, we do. But that is not the way that we now have to approach God. Because God caused a shift. When he sent his son to live, die, and raise again, he caused an underlying shift that would change the way we approach him. Because like I said, Christ gave himself up as the perfect sacrifice that would stand for all time. He didn't, we don't need any more sacrifices. Christ, one sacrifice was perfect and forever. 
not just going forward, but it reached into eternity past and will stretch into eternity future and say, it is good enough. It is sufficient for any and all sins. I have covered it already. And then he removed the weight of the law. He removed the burden we were under. He gave us, uh, he gave us grace instead of the law. And if you were here last week, Ben had a cross up here when he taught, and there was a cloth on it, and he literally took the cloth off the cross and covered himself in it. And that's what Christ does for us. He takes his perfect life and gives it to us. We had zero chance of living the law perfectly. I would have broke, I mean, I broke just the civil law today already, and I've been at church for like four hours of my day, and I've already broken the civil law. I did a California roll through a stop sign. And if I break the civil law, I'm guilty of breaking God's law. Like, I was on the road for a grand total of like eight minutes, and I broke the law. And I've had mean thoughts about people. I've said something that I shouldn't have said. Uh, I've done something I shouldn't have done, right? Like, whatever it is, I would be willing to bet you that you too have broken the law. But the good news is it doesn't matter. It matters. I shouldn't do a California roll. That will get me in trouble. But God's grace is sufficient. His one sacrifice has already covered it. And so he looks at us and he, he lived out the law perfectly for us because he knew we couldn't. And here's what's amazing. He didn't break the law. He broke the law's grip upon us. He didn't come to abolish the law. He fulfilled it perfectly. He didn't get rid of it. He said, I will do it for you because I know you can't. I know there is zero chance you will ever do this thing right. So let me do it for you. Let me step in where only I can step in. And that's what he does. He looks at our helpless estate and takes our burden in exchange for his light load. And that's the good news. That's why we're able to walk confidently into Christ's presence, into the presence of our Savior. And here's what's most amazing. He doesn't require anything of us. Christ gives us these gifts freely. It is a free gift of faith that you have been given. And this is why some people call faith the scandal of grace. Because no matter how good I look, I am still a terrible person in comparison to the goodness of God. And he says, I don't care. I'll give you my goodness in exchange. I will bear your penalty so that you might be saved. And that is scandalous because hardly will a good person die for someone else. But definitely someone like me won't die for another person. But Christ gives his life freely on my account. And he gives me faith in exchange. And we talk about faith all the time in church. How many times have you heard Tim say, we want your faith to grow, you need to have faith, uh, whatever it is, and we put faith there. But I've got a question for you, and this isn't going to be rhetorical. What is faith? How do you define faith? Anyone? Hebrews 11.1. Believing in what you can't see. My confidence in God. All of those, you already stole my next point. Hebrews 11.1, right? 
That's it. It is absolutely that. Let me open my Bible because I don't want to mess it up. I'm going to read it out of the ESV. And I had it. But this is what our faith is meant to be. He gives us a definition because oftentimes we use words and we don't always know what they mean. And he says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And in the passage we're in, in chapter 10, he flips it around a little bit and he goes with the first part first. And so as we break it down, we're going to look at the conviction of things not seen. And Hebrews 10, says this, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And the language that's used there is extremely easy for us to see why it's the conviction of things not seen. Because I can honestly say that I have not once ever seen a heart sprinkled clean. Like, I've never seen God do that. I've seen the results of it. I've seen a changed life. I've watched men and women walk radically different, but I've never seen God pull a heart out, sprinkle it clean, and put it back in. I've never seen him take a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. I will never get access to that, yet I know it to be true because I've seen the results. I am confident, I have a conviction that that is the truth. I've never seen my body washed with pure water because even when we do baptism, it is a reflection of what God has already done. Nothing happens magically when you get baptized. It is symbolizing that which has already been done. And so we have this conviction of things not seen, and that's the first part of our faith. You see, all it means is we take God at his word. I trust that he is sovereign. I trust that he gives us the gift of faith freely. I trust that, he, or that God is good. I trust in what he says at all times. And it's this part of our faith, this conviction that he is good, that will allow us to sing the songs we just sang. It's what allows us to, to sing when times are really good. It's, a, it's what allows us to sing when things are just okay. Life is just kind of on cruise control. And it's absolutely the only thing that allows us to praise him even when it hurts. It's what allows us to praise him uh, when, when we feel like he is slaying us, that uh, we can still praise him. It's the reason why the, uh, Horatio Spafford, the man who wrote, it is well with my soul, even after losing almost the entirety of his family, was able to say, even so, it is well with my soul because I trust in who you are. There's a song right now that is absolutely amazing. Hillsong sings a song called Even When It Hurts, and it says, even when my strength is lost, I will praise you. Even when I have no song, I will praise you. Even when it's hard to find the words louder than I'll sing your praise. Because they know that God is good, they can declare those words. They know the truth of who God is. They have a conviction that will not go away. And then they have an assurance of things hoped for. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
And oftentimes when we hear this idea of hope in the Christian life, it's always connected to when we die, we still have a great hope. Even when we die, we have a hope of heaven. And it's absolutely that. But our hope, our assurance of things hoped for happens right now, even more so. It's not just meant to be about heaven. You see, we have a hope that God is for us, not against us. Because get it straight, if the God of the universe, the God who created everything and holds all things together simply by his word is against you, you literally have no hope. But we as Christians have a hope. That's what the promise of scripture declares, that we have a God who is for us, not against us. And if he's for us, who could stand against us? Not only that, we have a hope that we will never be separated from the love of God. Romans 8 declares that, that neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor any powers or principalities can ever separate us from the love of God. There is nothing that will remove you from God's love. When he has you, you're his forever. And man, that's a great hope because I mess this life up far more than I think I do. And he hasn't turned his back on me and he never, ever will. And we have a hope that day by day we are becoming more and more like his son because that's what we're called to. We get to look more and more like his son Christ and we have a hope that it's not just, things aren't just happening in vain. When we go through the trial that seems impossible but we respond more like Jesus, that's a great hope for us because he's working it out for our benefit. We might not always see it but the eternal perspective always gives us a greater vision. And so that's what our faith is meant to be. We have this conviction of things not seen and assurance of things hoped for. But all too often, I think we live a different way. Ronald Reagan in like 1980s, the the century I was born, said, trust but verify, while talking about uh, politics, in particular about Russia and uh, I want to, Berlin, could be wrong. I can't remember off the top of my head now. Uh, But he was always talking about this idea that we would trust but verify. That we need to trust that they're gonna do what they're gonna do, but we'll verify it. That we'll trust them, but we're gonna verify it. And the problem is we live our life that same way when it comes to God. God, I trust you, but just let me verify. Like, let me me make sure you're actually doing what you say you're going to do. I'm gonna trust you, Uh, but let me verify. And eventually, we get so far away from trusting God that all we end up doing is verifying. Hey, God, you really are good. Hey, God, you really are safe. Hey, God, you really do have my best interest at heart. Hey, God, you really do. And we check the boxes to verify that the promises of Scripture are true. When what Christ wants, what God has called us to do, is trust him completely. Because when I trust him, I don't have to verify. I have a conviction of things hoped for. I have an assurance that he's going to do what, he's gonna, what he says he's going to do. And so I no longer have to verify. Because faith is simply trust. Trust in who he is and what he says he's going to do. Faith says God is good. That's good enough. It's not unreasoned. It doesn't mean that I, I don't think about things. But absolutely, if God says, uh, this is how I'm going to work, I trust it. If he says, I'm going to work in your life for good to make you more like my son, 
I trust it. I don't have to get upset when I can't understand it. I still might be in pain, but I don't have to look and say, God, are you good? I don't have to say it. When I see evil and someone says, where's your God in the midst of evil? All of a sudden, I know because of the promises of scripture, God is good and he hates evil. And he is in heaven storing up wrath against it. And he will judge those who do evil. I have an easy answer because I trust him. And even when I don't have the right way to verify it, I can trust his word to be true. And that's what the faith that we're called to. That's the faith that we're called to. We're meant to trust him at all times. And if we were to leave today, that would be a great message. But it would be an incomplete message. You're meant to have faith, yes. But you could walk away from just what I've said and say, I don't need anybody else. I can just do this thing on my own. I just need faith. And that's, that's true, you just need faith. But verse 24 throws up the caution flag. It says, slow down just a little bit. And he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing nearer. The author here absolutely has in mind a faith that is yours, but is lived out in community. Your faith was never meant to be lived out by yourself. You weren't meant to just do this thing all on your own. The author absolutely knows that community will strengthen us. And if you don't believe that, I don't know what world you live in. I've never lived in a place that had a volunteer firefighter department until we lived here. And here's what I know to be true. Those guys, they get that community strengthens one another. That is a brotherhood. When you walk into their their fire station, they have each other's backs. They will never let you walk into a fire alone. And you are getting pulled out no matter what the cost. They have a community that absolutely is strengthened by one another because that's what community does. It strengthens us. I I did something really stupid last year, and I decided to sign up for a Spartan race. Seemed like a fun idea. 4.2 miles. I could do that even with as out of shape as I am right now. I could still run 4.2 miles. I just didn't think about the 18 obstacles that I had to do as I was running that 4.2 miles. But here's what I I noticed. There's a community of these crazy people that call themselves Spartans that won't let you be left behind. At one point, I'm running the race, and I've got, I did something, I fell, or I had mud. I had mud everywhere at this point. Like, I'm crawling through the mud, and I'm getting ready to go do this obstacle, and they're like, hey, you need hands that are clean in order to do this. I'm like, what am I going to wipe it on? Like, they don't just give you towels. This is a Spartan race. Like, you're meant to be disgusting. And as I'm running, I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, someone else runs past me, and she says, hey, do you want to wipe your hands in my hair? What? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) It worked. I failed the obstacle still. But I was at least had a, a head start because I had this community around me. And even though I was like, this is really strange, it was totally normal in that context. And that community is strengthened by that. And when I didn't think I was going to get over a wall, 
all of a sudden, here comes three dudes who are like, hey, you're getting over that wall. Hey, that, that wall is like this. I can't do this right now. I can't lift anything. And like, we got you. You will get over that wall. And all of a sudden, I'm flying over this wall because they pushed me too hard. And I crash into the guy who's supposed to be catching me. But I made it because my community was strengthening me. And then if neither of those two ring true for you, uh, maybe this one will. My wife watches a show called Grey's Anatomy. And if you don't know anything about Grey's Anatomy, there's a bunch of doctors and uh, the main character, she seems to have every bad thing in the world happen to her. Like, I don't know how she's literally not dead yet. But here's what I know. They portray community in a great way. She has her person. And in the very first couple seasons, it's a single person that is her person. And then as the the seasons go on, one more person gets added. And so you start with Meredith and Christina, and they're they're each other's person. And then Christina, or Meredith adds her husband, and that becomes her second person. And, And then there's another doctor named Alex, and he becomes Meredith's person later on. And all of a sudden, there's this community around Meredith that is strengthening her. And the same thing happens in life, just maybe not quite so fantastical because if you get in a, like, three car accident, have a plane crash and almost drown in a ferry boat accident, I don't know what is going on in your life. But there's absolutely, apparently, a community that could be surrounding you. But we know it to be true. We know that community absolutely strengthens us. There's a reason why, and I, I'm not a huge fan of it, but like Boston Strong, right? Like we know what that means, Vegas Strong. And at first I thought it was the most ridiculous statement you could make. But when groups of people go through a tragedy and all of a sudden they come together, they find strength they didn't know they had because they're no longer living life in isolation. We are so much better when we are together. We are 100% more capable to do that which God has called us to do when we live life together. And if community strengthens us, here's what I'm sure of and what the author is getting at. Gospel community strengthens us, yes, but it also strengthens our faith. Gospel community will always strengthen us and our faith. And that's what we aim for in life group. So I'm gonna talk just a little bit about life group because that is where we see our gospel communities come together. That is where we see people opening the word of God, not just to have a Bible study, but to have a community of people with which you should belong to. Because here's what uh, gospel communities do. Uh, They're with one another. They actually spend time together. And I've seen this happen in a couple different ways, but quite possibly the most remarkable way and the way it strengthens someone's faith is watching my wife before she was my wife come into a life group that I was a part of. I was with a group of about 30, 20-year-olds, 20 to 30. They're a couple of older people. But they were a bunch of 20-year-olds who were, would week in and week out. They would open the word of God, and they would say, God, what do you have for us to learn? What do you want us to do? How should we live our life? What is your word saying to us? And week in and week out, they gave themselves to the teaching of the gospel, and that group 
started to do which only God can do. They would start to go and move in different ways, and they were mobilized in a way that 30 people in a town of 60,000 should not have been mobilized. But they were able to minister love through Christ more effectively. And Elise watched it, and she grew up in church, but for the first time, she came face-to-face with a group of people who wanted to know more about who God was, and it wrecked her. It changed her life dramatically. She needed to be a part of it. And that's what gospel communities do. They, they draw people in and you need to be a part of it. Not because you necessarily like the people, but you love what the gospel is doing in people's life. Eventually, you'll like the people. But the gospel will do something in you first. And then as we're with people, uh, we realize the call to love that we're supposed to have for one another. And I have a buddy, and his name is Jordan, and he had a, a girl that he was, when he was a freshman or a sophomore in college, that he was dating, and they were guaranteed, they, they knew they were getting married. It was absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt. And one night, she's driving back to her college, and she dies in a car accident in an instant. And he's destroyed. He's not going to go to class. He doesn't want to live life anymore. He's at the end of everything. He feels as though everything has been taken away from him. And he had a group of three 19-year-olds. I don't get how this worked, but he had three 19-year-old boys who were trying to become men that started to walk alongside him. And they were all in classes together. And they set up a schedule and said, Jordan is never to be alone until he knows the truth of who God is again. He is not to be left alone. He needs to be reminded that God is good, that God is sovereign and he's in control. And it doesn't matter what it means for us. If we have to give something up and he gets something, it's worth it. Because they had been in groups together. They had been in a small group and they said, we will absolutely live our life with you, whatever it looks like to live life with you right now. And it was messy and painful. And here's, what I, here's what's the most amazing thing is Jordan is one of the smartest people I've ever met. He can talk philosophy like nobody's business. He asked me questions. I'm like, I don't even really know what that means. Explain it to me. I want to know more. And he was going for one thing. He was, he was getting his degree in philosophy, and God said, I want you to be an army chaplain. I want you to go serve those who are serving others. And that's what he's doing. And he's continuing to live out this gospel community because even though he's getting paid to do it, he, just, he was inconvenienced and sent to a different country to go minister to someone who had gotten hurt. And he, didn't, he wasn't inconvenienced. He decided, I need to go. He said, whatever the cost, I'll go myself to be with my brother because he loves him and knows that that's what the gospel is calling him to. That's what this community is meant to be. And it's meant, the gospel community is meant to encourage us as we go through our, our different days. It's meant to call us back to uh, the truth of scripture. And when we are messing it up, it's absolutely meant to correct us. When I was 18, I decided that uh, even though I knew the truth of Scripture, even though my dad was a pastor, that I wanted to go party. I wanted to go live life my way. Uh, I'd been dating someone, and we decided it didn't really matter what we did. We would just 
we would go do whatever we wanted. And then she broke up with me and I was distraught. And so I was like, I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing. That was fun. I was able to forget stuff. I was able to, uh, I could drink away my sorrows if I wanted to. And so I was living this life for a while and I'm, I'm driving one day with some guys who had been in uh, another small group with me. And I was sitting in the, a car, a Ford Taurus, with five guys, well, four guys plus myself, and I'm not exactly small. Two guys who are next to me were definitely not small. And we're in the back seat, and we have the driver and another buddy, and they're like, hey, what are we going to do this weekend? And the four of them all had plans because they were still living life together. They were still pursuing Christ the way that they should be. And they were talking about what they were going to do. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And uh, my buddy in the front, his name is Jeremy, and he says, hey, Doug, what are you doing? What are you going to do this weekend? And I'm, I'm trying to think of how I can sell this to not, because I know that if I tell him the truth, I'm going to hear it. I'm going to hear what I don't want to hear. He's going uh, to have something to say to me. And so I'm, I'm just trying to find a way to get it out without him coming down on me. And uh, whatever I ended up saying, I, I said, I'm just going to go hang out with some, some buddies, something stupid like that. I was not saying much of anything. And he just simply, in four words, called me on the carpet, said, you don't have to lie to us. You don't have to lie to us. And that's all I needed in that moment because he knew who I was. He knew the truth of who I was uh, meant to be. He knew that I was meant to be following Christ. And in that moment, he revealed to me that I wasn't fooling anybody, much less God. And if I wasn't fooling the four guys who were closest to me, man, I had a lot more to figure out. And in four words, he called me into a different path. And he reminded me of the truth of the gospel. And sometimes our gospel communities will be very upfront and say, you're not living the way you're supposed to be living. Your life is not where it's supposed to be. You know the truth of the gospel, live it. And other times it's four words, you don't have to lie to me. Are you doing okay? Whatever it is, it might be five words, guys. I could be wrong. I think I just saw my wife mouth that. Uh, but whatever it is, right? It, it, that's what we're called to do. We're meant to minister to one another. We're meant to, to give the gospel to one another. And our gospel communities called life groups are that spot for us. We absolutely find life within those groups. And if you aren't a part of one, be a part of one. Get in a life group. Because like I said, you don't need a life group to have faith. You can absolutely do this thing all on your own. Christ is sufficient for you to do it by yourself. But if you want to live a life that's actually pleasant, a life that is richer because you're with others, get in a life group. Because without community, we become anemic. We become prone to be, become lost, and we're vulnerable to attack. I've been watching Blue Planet and Planet Earth with my son, and here's what I always notice. The one who's weakest gets eaten. The one who's weakest is the one who can't make it far enough away. And sometimes, I was watching one, and this pride of lions jumps on this water buffalo. It's sick already, 
and it had just enough strength to get away for that time. But what about the next time? Because the rest of the water buffalo, they hadn't a care in the world. They were worried about those lions for sure. But they had great strength in numbers. They were strengthened, even if they were weak, if they could be a part of the group, all of a sudden, they were better together than they were apart. And it happens in the, the big moments in, uh, of uh, life is going great, that we get to celebrate when someone gets the promotion. They buy the new house. They get the, the new car. And we get to celebrate with them in those moments. And when life goes really, really bad, we get to be a part of their life and remind them of the truth of God's word. We get to be like the song that just echoed, he is good, he is good, like back and forth to one another. We get to remind each other of that truth over and over again. And then in the, the little moments of life, the Tuesday evenings when your kid is going crazy, and you're like, I just need to go to Chick-fil-A so he can go play. And all of a sudden, you call up a guy from your life group and say, hey, I know you have three kids, and they might be going crazy too. Do you want to go to Chick-fil-A with us? And him and his wife and me and my wife and our kids all join together and go to Chick-fil-A. And we end up nearly shutting the place down because we're there for so long, not eating, talking, and doing life together. Our life is richer in even the small moments when we're together. And that conversation wasn't just all fun and games. We talked about real life stuff and how to encourage one another. I got to see uh, this man's wife in, in a way I hadn't been able to see her. I'd seen her at church. I'd talked to her, but uh, I got to know her in a different way. And he got to know my wife in a different way. And suddenly there's a different bond that's formed because we're doing life together. Our faith was enhanced that night, and it always is when we choose to become a part of a gospel community that is calling us back to Christ, pointing us back to Christ day in and day out. Be a part of a life group, because it's not just a Bible study. It's a community you belong to. You are known and loved by those in that community, and your faith will grow by leaps and bounds. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are a good, good God who loves us. Father, thank you that your word declares the truth about who you are, that we have a great hope in you. Father, thank you that you give us the gift of your life freely, that you cover us with, with a way to be able to come near to you, that you give us your righteousness when all we have is unrighteousness. Father, as we leave this place, as we go about our days and we, we might go to Super Bowl parties or, or just hang out at home, whatever it is that we're doing today, Father, would your word stir something up in us? Would we be driven to be a part of a gospel community and not so that uh, our numbers would grow, but so that our faith would grow? Father, just be with us as we leave this place today. In your name we pray, amen.